0: in today's episode of the Iman Wire podcast you know we need to be careful about using really loaded terms cuz if i read this text i'm like oh my goodness this is just so misogynistic or so racist i'm basically gonna, i'm going to like shut down and now i'll i'll not benefit at all from this this sheikh or this scholar and 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 uh, the writings they produced so i think that we need to Take a deep breath and just approach this with Hassan And again, for teachers, it's really important that we do an orientation for our students.
1: Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to the Imanawar podcast. Slim here with my co-host Goydar. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum. How are you? Good. Alhamdulillah. Good to be back. And uh, join us again. Uh, we're delighted to have uh, our ustada, um, uh, ustada Zainab Ansari from the Taizir Seminary. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome again, ustada.
0: Wa alaikum as-salam, rahmatullahi ta'ala, I'm glad to be here.
1: Well, glad to have you here. And uh, we uh, we convened today to um, discuss a, a topic that you know, first came to our mind. With um, and I'll just tell uh, like a brief story of um, of a of a class. Uh, you know, with the introductory students of knowledge, and it was actually an Arabic class. Um, and in this Arabic class, there was, um, you know, a text used for the t- purpose of learning Arabic, but it was, it was, uh, it, it presented a, um, a chauvinistic statement that uh, one of the uh, students found very, 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 you know, problematic and offended by, and this created sort of a, a cascade of. Of questions and um, even doubts and concerns um, that grew out you know, outside of the Arabic class into questioning of the tradition and questioning of you know previous scholarship. So um, from that, uh, we wanted to bring you on, ustada with your expertise, to um, discuss the what we may call the challenging statements. Maybe difficult to understand statements, especially in our in, in our current time, from previous scholars from previous scholarship, because certainly you know there are um, statements, interpretations. Uh, from uh, previous scholars of centuries ago um, that could would be very much termed uh, problematic or not, you know, not consistent with modern sensibilities. And, you know, just to be clear, we're talking about things like misogynistic statements. It's not, you'll find statements from previous scholars discussing like, masculinity as perfection and femininity as, you know, as, as a deficiency um, or interpretations of of, of certain hadith. Uh, and then also um, other statements, say, about race. For example, you know, there's there's Uh, certainly statements and about uh, anti-blackness or other races. Um, And this is, you know, this is well known in our tradition. And because we also see that other scholars responded, you know, to defend against those, you know, those anti-Socianist statements. So this is something that has been ongoing. There's statements and there's, and certainly we're not painting a broad brush amongst previous scholars, but there are certain scholars that someone in their path of knowledge and their training is going to encounter. Um, so we wanted to get you on, uh, Osada, to discuss this and really to help us um, navigate how to to deal with these challenging statements, whether they be from previous scholars or from um, even for in our modern day parlance when you see translations of a hadith or even of the Quran, um, how, how do you approach that? And I'll, I'll ask you like, first, what is the first thing we must do to approach that and, and so that we can you know, understand it better?
0: Uh, so first of all, I just have to say this is um, an important conversation. I'm glad that that you've opened this discussion. Um, you know, it's so interesting, I think, that we actually haven't in a very sort of intentional way maybe thought about, okay, before we present these... Um, before we present these texts to our students who are largely uninitiated and honestly, the vocabulary employed by pre-modern ulama, the historical circumstances that in which they operated, you know, the kind of prevailing cultural climate, I think it's really good to do some type of orientation um, for our students as maybe kind of an icebreaker because I think that one of the problems um, Brother Salim is that, Say we say say we sit in a class and we you know say we open this text and I think we're really looking at these books with very kind of rose tinted lenses, and and by rose tinted lenses I think in other words that we're almost bringing an assumption of that this person must be just infallible because this book is part of a canon, and I think that it's really important to understand that our ulama were human beings, and as human beings that. They were certainly not immune to having been influenced by their, um, by their environment and by certain assumptions that were prevalent, assumptions about women, assumptions about minorities, assumptions about people from other ethnic backgrounds. And I think it's important to be able to kind of separate between the, some of the assumptions that person may have held and the value of that person's work. I think that we conflate a lot of things, and I think it's really important to uh, to understand that, you know, when we look at these texts, that we have to appreciate the complexity behind the person and their background, and again, the circumstances that produce this text. You know, only, you know, there's only one text that's inerrant, and that's the Quran. And then, you know, so then we and we have our primary sources. Number one, the Qur'an, then of course the Sunnah, the Prophet Sallam. But it's really important that when we, again, look at these, the, the books of the of our pre-modern alamah, we have to understand that that these are, you know, this is not wahi, right? This is not revelation. Certainly these people were, these are very pious, erudite people who are definitely on a certain level inspired, but we're not talking about revelation here. And I think that, you know, so when we read a book, say it's by a a pre-modern scholar, like even al-Ghazali, rahimahullah, who said some things about women and gender that in this day and age we would say, well, this is offensive, or this is hurtful, or this seems to be misogynistic, you know, that it's important to understand that, again, this was a human being, and he had a lot of different experiences, he interacted with different people, and it may be the case where maybe he just came across Women whose conduct perhaps was not impressive to him. I mean, you have to give people some benefit of the doubt, right? Because um, you, because I've read these these texts, I'm like, well, this is interesting. Why would he have written this? What kind of women did he actually meet and deal with? So I think you have to maybe kind of try to read between the lines a little bit. And for me personally, I like to give personal love to this person. That no, he didn't hate all women. There, I mean, he had four daughters for heaven's sake. So there probably was a private al ghazali that none of us will ever know, right? So I think we should give we should give our alamat the benefit of the doubt, and I think that we need to be careful about, um, you know, we need to be careful about sort of using really loaded terms. Because if I read this text, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is just so misogynistic or so racist. I'm basically gonna, I'm going to like shut down, and now I'll, I'll not benefit at all from this this sheikh or this scholar and 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 uh, the writings they produced. So I think that we need to take a deep breath, and just approach this with Hasnallan. And again, for teachers, it's really important that we do an orientation for our students.
1: To to prepare them. Oh, absolutely. As you said, it's almost a romanticism that we have of the past, which is something that we Muslims tend to do a lot in terms of even our scholarly tradition. So would you say that this is, that these statements, would you just couch them as the, the that these, characterizing these as uh, these statements as just that this is simply the product, that they were the product of their time, or is, or is, or, or, like, can you just throw it under that, like, umbrella thing that, oh, that's just the way they thought, or is there, is there something, I mean, when you say, you were talking about the right? So, right. I mean, and certainly that, that is, that that is, that is crucial, but I guess, like, you know, that, that, that's coming from an experience where it's not just one person has said that, other people have said that, like, you know, People interpret, so for example, the hadith that, uh, you know, that uh, we were mentioning offline earlier right. about, you know, the deficiency in, you know, of the, of the intellect or the you deficiency know, of, or how, or how, however yeah. you want. I, I, mean, I shouldn't even, I shouldn't even say that because it's not, uh, it shouldn't even be translated actually. I should have just said in Arabic. But, you know, those inter- interpretations or the interpretations of, you know, the verse in Surah An nisa you know, they were, they were couched for a lot of previous, uh, ulama in, in their conceptions of, Masculinity, their conceptions of of uh, of what they thought gender roles are. Um, so, do we just throw that all under one thing that this is just the way they thought?
0: You know. So the thing is, I don't want to make the mistake of you know, you know suggesting that that we sort of I don't know. This is not cultural. And, I, think, and not, I don't mean yeah. to make a
1: value judgment. I'm right. just saying that this is yeah. just the way they. This is this was a, just like with the statements that we say today. Right. You know, a hundred years from now you know, they may be looking at uh, the scholar tradition of today and they'll be like, well, that's just the way. And and they may have different sensibilities and different.
0: So and I'm not trying to be, re- I'm not saying that we need to be culturally, I don't know, just sort of this is cultural relativism. In other words, that if this was appropriate in their time, great. It's, appro- it's not appropriate, right? So I think it's important for even for teachers of these classical classical texts to say, you know what, this is actually not an appropriate thing to say, say, about women or about this ethnic group. I think that's fine. I think you can do that while still being respectful of the tradition and of that scholar mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, and their body of work. So I don't want to make the mistake of falling entirely on the side of cultural relativism where, okay, you know, this was acceptable in their culture, so it's fine. I'm not going to critique it. I think we should critique it. But I think, Brother Salim, it's important that we think about what it, what is the sort of the end goal of this critique? Because my concern is that when we are hypercritical, then we kind of fall on the other end of this argument, which is that, okay, this is, the, that the entire framework is some, some sort of oppressive patriarchy, and we have to basically dismantle the whole thing, burn it down, as actually one woman said to me. And, you know, I'm again, I'm just very, very wary of, you know, sort of e- extremes. So I want to avoid the extreme of these were all sort of angels on earth type of approach, where they were infallible. And I'm not going to say anything that's even mildly kind of like critical of this, because some things we have to kind of talk about and unpack and interrogate. But I also don't want to fall on the other end of the spectrum where, okay, this is, for example, the alamah, where I don't know, conspired in some kind of patriarchal way to kind of really just kind of suppress women's voices. And that's why we don't have women writing fiqh, for example. I don't, Mm-hmm. I don't agree with that either. Um, you know, so, yeah, so I think that we had people to say, okay, that it's def- it, it's it's possible that there were certain assumptions about women and other ethnic groups that were just kind of acceptable and widely held. But I think that you can also kind of look at look at examples, again, from early in the tradition where you actually see people who are saying, no, we disagree with this, and here's why. You know, so, uh, for example, I mean, the Sayyidah Aisha, was actually quite well known for Personally, objecting based upon her vast knowledge of the Hadith and 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 living in the household of the Prophet والسلام, you know that he didn't talk a certain way. She actually said this. There was, I think, who was it? Possibly, possibly Abu Huraira. But let me double check that. Who brought a Hadith about um, if uh, a man is praying right, right. and uh, and I think if a man is praying and what was it? Um, a black, a black dog, 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 a donkey, and a woman. Yes. Pass in his place of prayer, then the prayer is invalidated. And she's like, are you going to compare women to animals? So, I mean, are we going to accuse a sayda Aisha of being, you know, sort of like this, you know, uh, I don't know. Um, yeah, not, not, I mean, this is Seda Aisha. So she is objecting in language that today we would kind of view as feminist language, but no, I mean, she's coming from a place of women are fully realize human beings and why on earth would you place women into this category of animals because that's not what the Prophet would did alayhi salatu wasalam he was and he was so incredibly respectful of women and that's why I say to sisters who are struggling with various ahadith you have to kind of look at not just one one hadith in, uh, in isolation but you really have to look at the entire body of ahadith and really you have to look at the sirah in its entirety um so that's why I would say not to kind of just be dismissive of people's concerns, not to say, okay, well, that, that was just what they did in that time, in that culture, but actually look more deeply at that time, at that culture, and see were there other voices perhaps. You know, I was reading um, Dr. Madsen's book, Story of the Quran, and she brings this fascinating anecdote about, uh, this is actually the time of, I'm thinking this is the time of, was it the tabi'in possibly? But she brings a story that is early, early in Muslim history where there was someone who was a member, actually, of Ahl al-Bayt. And um, he kind of had um, an inter... There was an interaction that he had with a group of women where he said something to the women in a really kind of disapproving way, kind of saying, you know, you women are kind of like these women around um, Sayyidina Yusuf, Mm -hmm. alayhi salam, right? And the woman had a really interesting retort. And And it's interesting because she... The response that she made, like, it was a very... Like, it was a respectful response, but she also marshaled her knowledge of the Qur'an in the response that she made um, to this very pious, respected person. She said, you know, while the women around Sayyidina Yusuf alayhi islam, their behavior may have been a problem. She said the men, their behavior was even more extreme because they threw him in prison was what she said. You know, so it was just fascinating that that was her response, again, this is well before the age of, uh, you know, of of kind of like feminism and trying to dismantle patriarchy. That wasn't her intention. Again, she's coming with, like she said, and I, I think Dr. Matson said that she actually said to the member of Ahl al Bayt, "Look, as women, you know, we have a a different way that we're looking at the Quran, a different approach." And I think that's what we need to do as teachers, right? We need to emphasize to our students that, you know, it is possible for us to look at something in the Quran or the hadith and just have different uh, views in terms of how we're interpreting this. And, you know, based upon your qualifications, that's something that we should actually kind of embrace, right? Um, Not all of us can obviously be mufassirin, but we can all have to dabur of the Quran, and I think we can all have conversations about the hadith.
2: What do you think uh, when it comes to our, uh, you know, in this day and age, when when we read these classical texts, uh, especially when it comes to the ulama and their statements, we do have this uh, sort of... um, you know sometimes when we read these problematic statements and we are trying to devotionally uh, you know get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to come closer to to the tradition in general we when we read these you know men or women we get this cognitive dissonance sometimes between the the two uh, right, you know right. you know realities that that we are trying to gap and i think it's more of a psychological kind of question you know because you know, it kind of stings and it stays in the back of your mind, and you are fully in comprehension and in agreement of the statements that you just mentioned. But it's just the way that your iman is just maybe sometimes challenged with the West, West you know, or with certain things that tell you, "Well, what about this? Well, what about that?" And sometimes, and I, I myself found it, you know, uh, easy at times, and I didn't know why to go past that. And sometimes I found it more difficult. And, uh, you know, and I always, you know, and I always remember the the uh, discussion of the, uh, you know, a lot of the scholars when we talked about, when they talked about the text, whether it's uh, in the uh, the Sharia text, whether it's Quran or Sunnah, you know, I need to go back and revisit my own assumptions. I need to go back and revisit my own, you know, uh, understanding of the text. And uh, you mentioned something, Ustada, the context of where that hadith, how that hadith, you know, transpired and what were the circumstances. And they, they, sometimes, you know, when I went back to these classical texts, I was like, there was a big aha moment. I'm like, well, of course he would say that, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. But back to that cogn- uh, cognitive dissonance, you know, what is it that I can do to kind of arm myself with that understanding, you know, so that in the times where I'm able to tra- go beyond it, I will. But in the times that I'm not, then I will maybe do a practice or follow a certain kind of uh, thinking path.
0: Again, you know, thank you, Brother Dar. This is really, this is an important conversation. I hope this opens further conversation, that, inshallah, you bring um, people who are experts. You know, I'm just a student, so bring the experts, inshallah, and have them continue this conversation, this dialogue, and, and to really present, inshallah, to the listener or to, to the listeners um, what are some practical kind of like, uh, tools for, for, you know, and, and ways I can equip myself quite honestly to read these texts. So a few things have come to mind, Brother Ghadar and Brother Salim that, you know, as, as we're having this conversation, uh, first of all, let me say this, um, the Quran is in a class of its own. So, you know, as believers, we'd be very careful about disagreeing with the Quran. And the reason why I'm saying that is because there was, um, This was a very controversial statement that was made some years back by a feminist, a Muslim feminist, that where we could say no to the Qur'an. Well, no. I mean, as believers, how's that? That's that's that there's inherent contradiction there. You know, we can reflect, we can have tadabbur, we can grapple, we can ask questions, we can go to people who are more learned, we can ask Allah Ta'ala to point us in the right direction, to give us an opening, but we can't. You know we need to be really careful about, you know, again, you know, uh, the the ayah, right? So we need to be really careful, right, that we're not locking our hearts against the Quran. I mean, we language is super important. We, you know, sort of misspeak. And utter something that is just really, you know, kind of like out of bounds. And next thing we know, our Qur'ans are completely locked against, um, against the the revelation, against being recipients of this, of this divine guidance. So I think that I would never ever say that there's something in the Quran that is problematic or that is controversial. I think what I think the problem comes in in our understanding, right? That we've run up against the limitations of human intellect and understanding. The problem can come in with, you know, misinterpretation. I mean, we know, I mean, there's a whole, unfortunately there's there there are groups that historically have arisen uh, that have gone to extremes because they've misinterpreted the Quran, right? There are spiritual, as you said, Brother out. there are spiritual blockages that we bring. We come to the Quran with a just sort of, complicated emotions, a lot of we have, we have as human beings, we can be weighed down by a lot of emotional baggage, by a lot of trauma. As women, you know, we're often sort of the, um, you know, we perhaps have been victimized in relationships, and we bring that to, you know, to our reading in the Quran, any number of things. Mm-hmm. So I think we have to understand that with the Quran, that we're dealing with a, a text that is transcendent, it's inerrant. You know, it is timeless. And we have to bring a certain level of awe and reverence to reading the Quran. We have to do that. We have to really, really make sure that we're not doing anything to cut ourselves off uh, from the those openings there in that text.
2: Well, you know, I, I so wanted to to jump in back, yeah. you know. I mean, uh, sort of trying to answer my my right. assertions, you know, because I always thought of it this way. And, and please, you know, um, uh, feel free to kind of edit or cor- kind of correct that path uh, of thinking. You know, I always thought uh, I, as a Muslim and as somebody who believes uh, and 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 devotionally, you know, uh, see myself as a servant, as a abid to Allah subhanahu wa taala. I am to surrender you know, my, you know, uh, being, my thinking, my emotional, uh, you know, uh, I guess, um, thought process, or however you want to frame it, forgive me for the the lack of my terms here. And I have to surrender that. That's part of my Islam. And that's how it kind of the spiral up, you know, kind of, uh, I think, clause that, that we mentioned in a different podcast. In my surrender, I would also think that this entire system, you know, that is full of beautiful you know value uh beautiful uh, you know uh, honoring of, of anything in this world you know Adam. starting with Bani Adam you know how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ha, ha, has elevated this this being and to everything else how can certain uh and and all that honors that that go all, all these honoring uh, you know factors that go along with it and that are very evident and very uh you know, متawatir, you know in more than one uh you know um corner of, of the text, whether it's Sunnah or, or the Quran itself. How can I take these incidents, you know, and nullify this this entire, you know, I guess, approach? You know, how can I, I mean, is, is that a right? I always use this as a weapon, you know, to say like, you know, I cannot accept these certain incidents to undo this immense honoring
1: system that's, that's so, you know,
2: much of a strike, striking awe in your
1: heart, you know? I, I think I think you could look at it two ways. I think you could look at it that that someone uh, someone from today is looking f- through their own lens and almost as if they're trying to pick a fight, like they're trying to find something that they can use to discredit the tradition or discredit. But then on the other hand, you could argue that, you know, a lot of, you know, interpretations of hadith, interpretations of the Qur'an, certain things in Islamic law, especially family law, a lot of these are um, colored... Partially informed by, you know, some of these statements. You know, for example, like we mentioned about, like, you know, the, you know, defining certain things in in the family, the the male-female relationship in the, <laughs> the family. <laughs> so
0: that's yeah. I mean yeah. I know. We'll be we right? So, yeah. I mean, this is ayah thirty-four of, of, of chapter four, and there are books that are written just right. about that. Not even the whole ayah, just part right, of the right. ayah. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. So. so so
1: there's different. You know, people have written different things about it, and that has informed a, like a, a tradition over time right, of how right. we understand this verse this mm-hmm. theory, the okay. interpretation. And right. so today, when someone calls into question those interpretations, the, uh, th- those on the other side who are who are are trying to protect tradition. Um, w- with the best of intention, they will will shut that down because, like you know, you you're just trying to you know, who are you to be reinterpreting mm. reinterpreting this this after right. you know, centuries and centuries of scholars have looked through that. While the other side will say that well, it started with some of these things, and, and that that calls into question the you know the equity and and the the fairness of. The interpretations, and then and then they then they then they want to then they consider that this is a system of of either in this situation of, of patriarchy that right. needs to be just completely you know overturned because it's all been based on based on something that's weak or basing something that's just not you know correct.
0: Well, you know, you're raising really alhamdulillah, very important points here. Um, so let me just clarify something, brother Ghay, uh, brother Ghaydar and brother Salim. So my advice here in terms of the Quran and how it's an, it really is in its own category, its own class, is that um. You know, where I'm I'm gonna say, yeah, there are a hadith that are that can be controversial. There are a hadith that do seem outwardly problematic. There are certainly statements made by pre modern ulama in their in some texts that today we would say are unacceptable. I completely uh, uh uh you know kind of concede that. And I don't think that's disrespectful of the tradition to say that, you know, we can we can have a, a dialogue about this. But having said that, the Quran and, and you know, so the ayat of the Quran and the commentaries, I mean, they're not one and the same, right? And I, I don't think that any, even if you had the pre-modern in here, I don't think they would ever claim that that their interpretation was the last word on the implications of that ayah, number one. But what I'm inviting the, the, the listener, and really re- beginning with myself, what I'm inviting all of us to do is we need to empty our cup when we read the Qur'an. Really, really important. Because if I... Say, for example, as a woman, say I was in an abusive relationship. Say, you know, hypothetically, and I read, you know, I'm going to just bristle. Well, that's a problem, right? Because if I if I am viewing this Quranic language and terminology through Um, the lens of my own personal experience and through male domination, then I'm going to look at all of the Qur'an like that and the hadith and everything in the fiqh, and then how am I going to benefit? So I think it's really important that as much as we can, we try to empty our cup. And we also make, and we need to avoid the mistake of honestly what a lot of Islamophobes do. You know, where they open the Quran and they see the so called the so called sword verse, slay them wherever mm-hmm. you find them, and then they come to us and they tell us that our religion is about I mean, come on, I mean anyone even a rudimentary understanding of Islamic history knows that's never that was never sort of the policy, the stance that informed the way Muslims interact with non-Muslims to basically mm-hmm, mm-hmm. sort of, again, you know what the ayah says, right? The ayah, slay them wherever you find them. You know, there are, uh, the, the ayah, for example, in Surah Tawbah, if you look at those ayahat, um you can see that the the context is very much specific to uh, how the Prophet, alayhi salatu was was to figure out... Uh, how to basically deal with with the remnants of the Quraysh and the and the polytheists in um, in Mecca. That's what that's what that was about. And what would the status of Mecca be after Fatah Mecca? Quite honestly, so um, you know. So I'm saying this to say that, and this is something that's really it's a, this. I'm very passionate about this. That we have to make sure that we are emptying our cup, and as much as we can, that we're not coming to the Quran with a preconceived Mm -hmm. agenda, that's really important. But I'm not saying, you know, Brother Salim, that we have to necessarily treat every single interpretation of the Quran as kind of like fixed.
1: Right, yes.
0: You know, that's really important. Yeah, that was really my... my, uh, I think this is not so much
1: about the Quran or even the hadith, uh, but more about the interpretive tradition uh, in our scholarship, because, you know, because those can be, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm presuming, and you can tell me if I'm wrong. Those, can be challenged. Those can be, you know, considered uh, differently today. Correct.
0: Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, and I would say this is actually the responsibility of um, today's scholars to actually say, okay, you know, if the Quran, for example, four thirty-four, you know, um, is it is the Quran calling us to? It does it is, does it envision a, a gender dynamic where men are always kind of like, sort of, controlling and dominating? You know, is this about oppression? Is this about, I mean, what is this really about? I mean, is the Quran, is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala telling us that the go-to method for resolving, say, marital discord is for the husband to beat the wife? I don't I, I don't think that's what the Quran is telling us. And I don't think that there are a lot of alama who would say that's the case at all. So I think it's very important to look at ayat in the Quran and to say, yes, this may have been the understanding or the interpretation in the past, you know, but we also have to take into account what are the needs, honestly, psychological and emotional needs of our community today, would a woman respond to corporal punishment? And I don't. I don't. Yeah. I mean, I've I've even asked Arlema about this, and they would say, you know, no, 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 of course not. That's not how she would she would respond to uh, to resolving that marital situation, whatever the case may be. Um. So yes. Yeah, so I would say the interpretations are not fixed, and it really is the responsibility of those with expertise to look at. I think it's mainly the ayat, probably a family law that we're really kind of thinking mm-hmm, about here mm-hmm. and think about um, other um, possible interpretations. I think still uphold, I think, the spirit, um, you know, the, the spirit of the of the sharia. Um, you know, having said that, there's something I wanted to come back to. This, what happens when we have a blockage? Like we're reading something, say we're, we're reading something in a text, and the author says, you know what, in order to be a fully... Because uh, there are texts that say this, in order for someone to be kind of like a full, complete uh, human being, um, in order for them to be, uh, what is the word? In order for them to 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 be fully realized, I think, on that spiritual path, they have to be rajal, right? They, yeah. in, other, in other words, to be a woman is to right. be deficient. Right. And you'll right. see that kind of language being being employed um, in the books, in some of the books of Tasawwuf obviously, if if the listener doesn't approve of Tsselwuf, it's kind of a moot point. <laughs> but um but if you're reading books of uh, books of Desalwuf, and they use very gendered language to suggest that the person that is kind of more spiritually realized is the male over the female, right? And that to be a female is to be deficient in one's spirituality. Yeah, but modern day readers would look at that and take offense. isn't
2: it also like the the difference between like what? ذكر means and a rajul means, mm-hmm. you know, yes. especially in the Quran. Min mm-hmm. yes. al-Mu'min uh, rijal yes. Rijal means men and, and women, you know. Yes, absolutely. And there's a whole lot of... Uh, Arabic language deficiency that goes on even in the Arab world right, right now. You know, so so you know, anytime I you know I listen to or I hear to some of the contemporary you know kind of objections, I'm like, dude, do, do you even? <laughs> yeah, no, <it's>, a lot <laughs> of it's based on a literary because, because what yeah. you just said. A lot yeah. of people
1: will be like, oh, that's a revisionist like type of interpretation when it's not. If you're literate and Right, language. I mean,
2: even like some of them are even laughable. you know. Some, some, uh, and I don't claim to be very much, you know, in Arabic. But you know, when it comes to you know some of these uh, ones that you see now on social media, they're just becoming so ridiculous. You know, they're not even intellectual. You know, you can't even put a label on it, and 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 that's how it gets a little bit more, um, honestly, uh, ridiculous, and 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 it makes you don't want to even get. Or engage into this conversation, and I understand you, Mashallah, as a teacher, you need to always adhere and you need to always address the questioner, the students. But uh, but for me, as a as a layperson, I'm like I don't want to even engage sometimes in these things, and and um, it, it makes the legitimate questions so uh, diluted uh, mm-hmm. is from from the context, and and therefore, I guess my point is to try to really make this conversation a little bit more meaningful sometimes is not to you know make it so widespread and uh, in in light of the everything goes and everybody has a claim uh, it it becomes now a little bit more uh, you know problematic to even set the uh, you know um, uh, the the ground rules you know for for an intellectual conversation so is there any uh, kind of a, a you know protective measure for us to be at least you know other than of course knowing a little bit of Arabic you know it comes to that or knowing uh, getting at least the status of a student of knowledge you know so that you I mean let alone being an expert in something is there a certain approach to it at least for me to be able to be like you know what hold on a second I'm not a doctor or I'm not a I'm not a lawyer to kind of delve into this you know Mm -hmm. why is it so easy for me to kind of Engage myself emotionally into these things if I'm not even somebody who is qualified to to delve. And I don't mean again every time there has to be a qual the, the qualifier for every statement. Unfortunately, even when we talk in a podcast or post on social media, I don't mean for you not to delve into your text, into your uh, you know, into the Quran, which is ibadah uh, to read and and to follow you know, unless you are a, a scholar. I don't mean that. But at the same time, there has to be some sort of common ground. I'm not sure if
1: if I but well, you know I, I, think, mm-hmm. I, I mean like, like yeah. for for like Nostada, yes. you know, uh, you know in your path of learning, you know, um, did you come across fellow students um, who who had these issues like where they were shocked or they were their their things of their I don't even say faith but maybe their faith was shaken or their their faith in tradition was shaken well, absolutely. and 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 what were the what were the things that you know, or maybe you yourself experienced uh, you know some certain emotions? What were the things that you have learned from that or you saw from that that today you would um, suggest to to students of knowledge or just lay people as as we're talking about to um, to be able to again um, pass through that without losing. Um, you know losing their their faith in tradition or losing you know having you know many confusion and
0: what i'm going to say is i'm and it, it might it might not be what listeners want want to hear but it, it's sort of you know every discipline has its lexicon right it has its um it has its terminology um it has its discourse it has its vocabulary i mean there's 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 technical language and you know the Being initiated into the world of the language itself is a process that often takes years. So, you know, I think that when we open up a book that was written centuries ago, we're trying to engage in a conversation with a person who's no longer here, first of all. So we can't ask that author questions about, well, why did you frame it this way? Why didn't you say this? Why did you say that? So we have to understand that we're bringing a certain number of assumptions to bear on that text. You know, it's a very, it's very one-sided. Not, you know, and, and actually, it's very one-sided. Um, so this is where where I think we have to have a certain amount of imagination. I think in the whole process, um, in that we're trying to again enter into a conversation, a dialogue with someone that's no longer here, and a and a, and a book that is kind of like the the product of you know, succeeding generations of scholars and experts ba- basically refining terms and having kind of like an an, an internal conversation about certain things that we're, we're just so external to. So, for example, when Sufis kind of talked about men and women in these very gendered terms, they talked about the 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 Rijal being the people who were more spiritually realized and the nisat being the people who were kind of defective or deficient. Well, we have to understand it's not because they hated women, right, but it's because there was a certain vocabulary that kind of reflected understandings or, you know, sort of their impressions of what they thought were kind of traits that were intrinsic to men and women Were often very positive traits of uprightness were associated with male gender and a certain amount of, honestly, wishy-washiness was associated with being female, right? Mm-hmm. So I think just kind of being sensitive to that but also understanding that, you know, just with any, dis- just with any discipline it's very difficult to kind of wade into that discipline when you've not really had the background and the training and the grounding with that, that, you know, you could just like I can't, for example, open up, say, I don't know, a journal of whatever, I don't know, um, uh, say nuclear medicine or whatever field that we're talking about and just – and expect that I'm going to really derive a lot of benefit when I'm I'm not, you know, I'm not part of that um, that sort of body of, of, of experts there. So – and again, I know that's probably not what, what, what readers want to hear because we can – and in, in this day and age, we can open up any book that we want, read it, and opine about it, mm-hmm. and put it out there on the internet for everybody to see, and then all, all of a sudden we're, we're experts. I mean, if you do a Google search literally for whatever field or subfield of Islamic studies, you're going to come across people who are literally picking up books and blogging about mm-hmm. them and commenting about them, and maybe not really actually, they don't actually have the background and expertise to actually be doing that. So just understand that, right? As much as we are passionate about this and we yearn to kind of understand uh, the the nuances of these texts, we're just we're looking at a book that's that's the product of generations of basically sort of an internal discourse right. about this subject. Mm-hmm. That's that's one point. You know, but the other thing that I wanted to say, and I'm, I'm, I apologize if i I hope I'm not losing anybody here, is um, Brother Ghaydar, you asked about this, right? This idea of should should there be ground rules? Yes, there have to be ground rules. Um, I think that it's not necessary for all of us to have an opinion about everything. Um, you know, I think...
2: But I have to have an opinion. I have so many <laughs> people following me on Facebook, well, and I have to have a certain number of likes. Come on, Sada. <laughs> well, you
0: know, well, in, but the Arabic language, and the Arabic language is just so nuanced, Yes, you know, it's definitely. so nuanced, and you know, and and, and again, Subhanallah, I don't want to to dissuade the listener here, but you know, the amount of of time we would have to actually spend to actually study the Arabic language, I think, to really have, you know. Uh, Bringing an informed view or opinion, I think that's a, it's a—it's many, many years of study. It's not yes. just, okay, oh, I wow. took, I don't know, a few semesters of Arabic, I'm going to go pick up Hans Ver and now I'm kind of an expert on this. So that's that's one thing. And again, I'm not trying to be dismissive. I think this is a really important conversation, right? But I think that we need to also, Brother Salim, I'm trying to answer your question. We want to, and Brother Redard as well, like we want to make sure that we can be measured because I think that when we come with a very emotional response, I'm afraid that in having that very emotional response, like say if we read something that's a trigger for us, mm-hmm. we're just gonna we're just gonna shut mm-hmm. down altogether right. and then we're not going to find any benefit. Um, because honestly, I really don't believe that there is a conspiracy against women by pre-modern scholars. I, I think that we can talk about why women were not as active in fiqh because they weren't, Right. and usul they weren't. You seem, but they were, you seem to
2: hear about, more about muhadithat. Yes, yeah, and so, they, right. they were more active
0: yeah. in hadith, and I think yeah. there were some really um, fascinating reasons as to why reasons as to why that was mm-hmm. the case. Um, but I, I I don't think there was any kind of vast conspiracy. I don't think that these are alimah as offensive as some of the statements were. I don't think they hated women. Um, you know, even the statements that are that are actually quite. There were statements that were that are quite racist. Yes.
1: Right.
0: I, I think we need to be careful between saying, okay, this statement is problematic, offensive, inappropriate, versus this person was a racist. We need to be yeah. really, really careful mm-hmm. about that. Yeah. Um,
2: and even in, when, yes. when they say the word aswad, you know, like uh, at yes. a certain time and mm-hmm. age, that word did not carry so much... Racist way, you know, I mean, right. I, I'm, not, I'm just using this as one example, you know, of course. But I wanted to also like add uh, uh, to a possible interpretation maybe to what you're saying, Ustada. You know, it's fascinating because whenever a student of knowledge tries to, uh, you know, approach the deen and study the deen, you see that any uh, respectable institution would spend um, a certain number of time, sometimes years, you know, to have them first study Teskia. You know, to do the teski of the nafs first, you know, to do, uh, you know, the check yourself, you know, kind of uh, spectrum, you know, and then uh, after the person becomes uh, uh, with his nafs and and her (laughs) nafs, more uh, able to, I guess, deal with himself and his emotional uh, reactions and whatnot, then, okay, now let's start with usul. Let's you know, and then and then after usul, let's start with fiqh and let's start with hadith. And, and uh, I forget the certain number or the certain order that they want to do, but it seems that subhanallah, this kind of approach maybe uh, is somewhat maybe uh, helpful because, like you mentioned just now, you get triggered. But maybe, like, if you go through the process of teskia before you embark on your you know thirst for knowledge, you know, it will help you, it will help you kind of. Stay grounded, maybe emotionally at least, you know, so that you can control yourself when you hear. Oh, maybe there's something about that. Not to undo your world, you know. Whenever you read something about it, uh, so uh, so. Uh, uh, do you think yeah, that this is a valid point? Maybe is, uh, to
0: that's excellent advice, Cidreydar. I think that, and this is why I said that the, the orientation, as that our scholars and teachers that that uh, I think in order to they need to design. And they have to be mindful of the fact that this this generation of students and seekers and learners, they are coming to these texts with um, pressing concerns and often very unique concerns. And there is a certain amount of doubt and skepticism that you see today that you actually didn't see, perhaps in a previous generation, thinking about my parents' journey to Islam compared to people today. You know, the ayah, that's my parents' generation. It's different today. There's a lot of cynicism. So I, I think that we need to be sensitive. We need to be diplomatic. We need to be nuanced. We need to have, as teachers and scholars in our ulama, I think it's really helpful to have some grounding in the principles of counseling and pastoral care and understanding human psychology. So that we actually can create the proper or design the proper orientation for our students to kind of serve as an icebreaker. And I think the, the Tezkiah is a very important part of that. Um, I think, I think what's the, the difficulty, I think, for people today is that we don't have that uh, grounding in Tezkiah and kind of cultivating the proper orientation approach um, and honestly, edub, and people think edub is about, oh, you're just kind of bringing up edub because you want to censor conversation. No, not at all. But edub is, or discipline, right? When, when I have a sense of the proper edub, it means that I'm actually able to better manage my own emotional response to this book, text, statement, whatever, so that I'm not triggered, so that I don't shut down, right? So I think the adab is actually really important for me. And Brother sleep now I remember what I wanted to say. So my own journey. So when I look at relying to the traveler today, you know, this is one of the main texts in Shafi'i Fiqh that you study, you know, I'm actually appalled because, you know, my, um, you know, th- that <laughs> when I look back and I see the notes that my, I don't know, let me think I was, how old was I when I, subhanAllah, yeah, I don't know, 21, yeah. So I'm looking at, um, I don't know, I'm looking at, at. Relying to the traveler I'm looking at the notes that my 21 or 22 year old self wrote and I'm just like appalled at how kind of like clueless I was you know because I I remember in the section on moon sighting, there's a section in the in the fiqh of uh, of starting Ramadan where it says you know that you can't accept the witness of uh, of a woman who who comes and says that she saw the hilal I remember writing in the margins well what if this woman is an astronomer well first of all that's such a hypothetical and second of all you know with the with the issues that we have today regarding moon sighting and uh, sort of government authorities that are declaring that they've sighted a moon that possibly was not actually sightable, I think there's probably a larger discussion and debate that we ought to have as opposed to, oh, look at this statement here about women not being able to kind of provide witness. So I think that there's a certain amount of, I would say, that we want to kind of take a pause, you know, that, okay, you you read something, you don't agree with it. Don't, don't kind of like react in the, in the heat of the moment. It's good to actually like take a pause and step away. In my case, I kind of stepped away for a while and then come back and you realize, you know what, now I can bring more kind of um, equanimity and more maturity to my, my reading of this. And, you know, then as opposed to kind of reacting to this, maybe I can have a more intelligent discussion of, well, you know what, this is actually what the Madhahib actually say about women's uh, witness, and then I will find there are many cases in which the witness of a woman and one woman was often accepted, right, as opposed to just reacting to that one thing in that fiqh text. Um, so that's an example, Brother Salim, of something that I myself experienced. I think another, one one other thing, I know we're kind of ending the, approaching the um, the conclusion of our podcast here is that with fiqh itself, you know, we need to be really, really, really careful. I'll give you another example. So there's a reason why contemporary translators and scholars do not translate the sections on slavery. Mm -hmm. Because then what's going to happen is you're going to open the text. You're going to, you know, let me get to the juicy part. And you're going to read the section on slavery. And then, oh my goodness, you will never ever benefit anything again from Mm. that. Because now you've read what they've said about slavery. You've read what they've said about women. You've read perhaps what they have said about relations between the the male slave owner and the female right. slave. Right. You've read now about, well and then someone comes to you and they say, Would you, you know what? Say radiallahu <laughs> <laughs> anhu prevented the slave woman from from covering herself in public. And now you have all these doubts about women and women in Islam and does Allah Ta'ala love you as a woman and what are the Prophet um, عليه الصلاة, عليه الصلاة والسلام, what did he really think about women and was Sayyidina Ammar anna, now you're calling him all these different things and you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. it's like you have to be really 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 careful so I remember we made the mistake of having you know we were just so we we're so raw we're like we had no idea what we were doing but we're all like brand new students of knowledge we tried to have a debate about slavery and when our when when the aunt say you know the sheikha when she heard she was like livid she's like why because there was one of the one there was one young lady who was just she had newly started practicing Islam and she had all these doubts and questions and the answer was like why on earth would you open this conversation in front of her so some of it's just like having hikmah right. like right. under like hikmah is not just understanding um uh, I think I think uh, you know it's kind of like it's not just understanding the sensitivities of your audience, but also, like, are you even qualified to be dealing with this at this point, right? So, also having some hikmah, I think that's good. Yeah. So, well, I
1: mean, I have, uh, as wisdom, right? right yeah, right, wisdom. Um, so, in closing, uh, I'd like you to comment on two two things, um, with your permission. Um, number one, uh, what's the role of of uh, scholars today, both male and female, in in addressing these um, these these challenges in in the tradition? Uh, you know becoming aware of perhaps some of the, the you know the, the difficulties and reinterpretations that need to take place what's the role of both male scholars and female scholars in that today um, and that's the first one and then and, the, and as a last um, question to you for this um, uh, for this conversation was said um, on a more broader level uh, someone could come you know perhaps a, a woman perhaps someone from uh, a person of color uh, and they may they may come, with this question that is, why does it have to be so difficult for me to um, go down this path? Like, why, like, a man, for example, doesn't have to, doesn't usually see these statements. It's it's easier, quote-unquote, easier for a man to sort of, like, accept certain things, you know? And so I think I feel like a lot of emotion from people is that it's just in my conversations with, I'm, I'm not even talking about students, now, I'm talking about people, just lay people, you know, like why does it have to be so difficult? Because people ha- and people have experiences, they have experiences of of misogyny in the Muslim community, they have experiences in their family, they've had dealt with trauma, they've dealt with a lot of issues over years and years, and then um, they are, so they already have this sort of experience of, of Muslims, experience of, of what they feel Islam is, and then on top of that, then they're confronted with these statements, and so then they may ask, why you know, Yes, I, I understand, we understand that, you know, you have to, you know, have have, have patience and, and you know, and, and some of the things that we talked about earlier. But why is that? Why do we have to have that? Why does it have to be so difficult for, for some people? Uh, I know that's a big question. It's hard to, if, but those are the two questions that, inshallah, if you could answer. By the it's way, he's a- closing. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is, you know, again, inshallah, you're
0: going to have people who are far more qualified than me. So this is just, that's we're so just Shala. kind of, this is the, I don't know, the just kind of, you know, warm up act or whatever, right? So, um
2: <laughs> <laughs> let,
0: let, Let's let's look at it this space so that so this is what I I I will answer this by saying that there are things I certainly wish that my own teachers had actually thought about or had done and um, that I think would have made for me my orientation easier. Um and I think that there has been this approach where we've been kind of like overly romantic about the the golden age, asr al right, in the past and and it can it, it can be easy to do that because i think we have um we have a certain amount of like there's an, an emotional resonance all of this carries for us like our turath, our heritage our, our tradition um, so i think that for our alama to actually be able to sit down and look at these texts through the eyes of their students is really, really helpful to understand why. Why do they read this and feel hurt? Especially when we're talking about, say, male scholars and teachers and female students. Like, why? Why does this? Like, why does the hadith, for example, of say, if a woman doesn't respond to her husband's call, the angels curse her through the night? Like. That probably, maybe that wouldn't bother a man so much. Maybe today it's different. I don't know, after the Me Too movement and all that. But you know, but why does this bother this the, the 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 sister? Like this is really bothering her. And let me, like, let me just actually take the time to talk to her and find out why this really bothers her. I think that's important. So for our scholars and teachers to actually try, put yourselves in the shoes of of, of your students, try to see things through their eyes. This is where it's really important to have female teachers and scholars. Um, we need to train more women, and I think and not just training women in women's issues, but training women in usul. So, for example, I think one of the um, mistakes that I think uh, that they that 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 they made where I where I studied in Damascus, and I know they had their rationale was they 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 felt like okay, usul is just for for our Arab students and not for our international students. That oh, wow. that was they actually they would they would steer all the the foreigners the um, Ajanib into um, uh, into al-Da'wah, right, the Da'wah the, the college. And they would say usool is where the Syrians should go. Because the idea was, you know, as the, the foreigners, you're going to go back and you're going to kind of teach Islam 101 and do interfaith and that type of thing, right? So, you know, and, and looking back, you can kind of see, well, well, we need that. Gr- we we need that grounding in usul. I think for a lot of these questions and these 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 doubts that we're, you know, it's because we don't have the grounding in usul. So I say it's really important to train more women in that. And that's where Alama It's. I don't think we have the luxury of saying, well, let's just teach the women what we think they should know because they're just going to be at be at home. And yes, many women will be at home, doing that very important work of raising their children. But where is the foundation of Iman built? It's in, the, it's in the home. So giving the that the women a higher level of training, whether or not we ever think they're going to need it or use it, is really important. Um, and then, like I said, looking at things through the eyes of the student. And then what was the other part of your question? So it's like, what should, and... and. Uh,
1: the first part was about the uh, scholars, male and female, what they yes, And then the second it, part was just more general, the right. issue of... Um, of, of people, you know, who who have been the you know, feeling, yes, yeah, feeling, yes, feelings of pain. Why is it so difficult for me versus yes. other people who may have been advantaged?
0: You know, Allah Taala tells the Prophet والسلام, in the Quran. I mean, this is actually directed to the Prophet. Like, don't, don't look at those others whom you feel they've been given something over you. I mean, that's to the Prophet mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So, and that tells us that perhaps maybe it's part of human nature to kind of feel that. It's so easy for those others, and they've been given something I haven't been given, right? So just be very self-aware that we're not approaching this conversation, these concerns from a space of insecurity and identifying what are the, what are the sources of those insecurities and addressing them, because it's not always, I mean, there might be some degree of male or Arab privilege Maybe some. I think, honestly, post 9/11, it would be very hard to make an argument for Muslim male privilege. Honestly, I, I and I feel very, very strongly about this. These people that we think have it so easy, they are dealing with a lot, right? Let me just say that they're dealing with a lot. So, however, it's again looking at what are the sources of those of those insecurities, and and not assuming that that person necessarily has it so easily, but also making sure that we are, I think, advocating for ourselves the way we ought to be, right? But not... And I think this is what I said to a sister one day. I was teaching a class on fiqqa for women, and was, you know... And, and she said, how do I as an African-American female... It really stayed with me. How do I as an African-American female relate to this scholar, this Arab scholar who wrote this book, you know, so many centuries ago? Like, how do I bridge that gap? And I said... Well, first of all, don't see him as this Arab, this Arab male scholar who wrote this book centuries ago. Like he's our, like he's your brother, right? We might be separated by the span of time, but we're brothers and sisters in faith. And don't think that being an African American, being an African American female in, in an urban environment, should sort of prevent you from accessing the tradition. That this is equally your legacy as it is. Anyone studying it at, at, at al-Azhar, for example, like that's what I actually told her. This is accessible for you. So I think that advocating for, you know, if we find ourselves in that position of kind of being, if, if we're, if, say, if we're in a minority, you know, advocating and making sure that we're not falling into any type of um, victimization, mm-hmm. I think is important, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We don't want to fall into self-victimization. And uh, subhanAllah, there is another point that I wanted to share yeah, I think I'm getting old here. Um, it, it'll it'll come back to me in just a second, but yes, the I yeah that I have not seen in the history of human existence any tradition that has the potential to uplift every single person the way Islam does. It's just it doesn't exist, and I don't think this is like sloganeering to say this. Again, I think about the way I came up, in, um you know with my parents being um in an you know interracial marriage and just the just the the vistas that were opened up for my parents and you know in this country with its tortured racial past to come up in a community where it was just you thought nothing of seeing different ethnicities and people of different races marrying and 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 uh, raising families and seeing the diversity in the community seeing the diversity in our leadership right I don't. I challenge you to find this anywhere else, other than within the ummah of uh, of Islam. You know, especially when we do things right. And then also, brother, Slim, one one thing I was thinking about that when we have these painful experiences, because sometimes I think our reaction is, "Oh my gosh, I went to the mosque. There was this brother, and he was so rude." First of all, I think we seem to have a preponderance of rude brothers who go to the mosque at the wrong time. I don't know what's happening with this, right? Um, but to understand, yes, unfortunately, at on the day you went to that masjid, there was some brother who was not polite and spoke inappropriately, but that shouldn't cause you to just dismiss every single person who goes to that masjid or the whole Muslim community is what I would say. That I'm very sorry you had that experience, but I guarantee you that if you ask Allah ta'ala to put the right people in your path, inshallah, you'll go back to that masjid, you'll meet somebody who will... Uh, extend to you the proper courtesies that are befitting of, ex- of, of, of being extended to uh, to a guest. So,
1: uh, yeah, just that. That. <laughs> <laughs> uh, You know, this is a difficult conversation. I know, and, and you know, and certainly, yeah. certainly, uh, you know, I don't know. If, uh, maybe there's certain things that w- we may have said that you know may be considered problematic for, yeah. for some listeners. We ask you all, but you guys for, uh, are listening. <laughs> Guys and gals, right, but you know, I, I, think, well, I think and, and part of my for, stumbles
0: yeah, as well is this. Yeah. it's, I, I, least, it's please, the lack of caffeine. So. And, you, know, uh, you know, this yeah. is
1: this is a, this is th- we're all trying to figure things out. I think I've said this before on the previous podcasts. We're just trying to figure things out. So this is just a conversation about that. Of course. You know, we're not making you know sweeping state. At least I personally am not making sweeping statements about something. You know, and um, I don't think any of us are. But we're just trying to um, you know come up with approaches and come up with. Um, with ideas and, and principles that we need to cling to 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 help us you know um, move forward as a community and uh, be embracing to all inclusive of everyone in our community um, and you know certainly that was the intention behind a conversation like this so I want to thank you again Ustada, for 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 um, beginning to. Uh, discuss a very difficult topic. And I think I think uh, I personally am very appreciative of it and I'm sure many of our listeners would be very appreciative of it as well. On the contrary, actually, you kept
2: saying bring more uh, people who are more qualified. I, I think this is a very courageous move, mashallah, of how mm-hmm. you, you know, uh, actually wanted to, to to approach this topic with us and and uh, you actually encouraged us to uh you know to take it on and and uh, we uh, are grateful therefore so uh thank you very much for thank joining
0: you. us may allah ta'ala reward you and reward you both and your respective families and all the, the families of al-medina institute and our teachers and and I, I i see how hard that you all work may allah ta'ala reward and bless right. you and accept I
1: mean, and, um, and Jimmy, yeah, I mean, yeah, t- again that Said from Taser Seminary and uh, thank you Ghaidar for joining us and uh, all the listeners again thank you for um, your support. Please give us your feedback at uh, imanwired on Twitter or imanwired.institute.org uh, via email. Uh, subscribe to the podcast, um, share it with anyone you think may benefit and um, give us a, you know, give us your feedback, give us a five star reading on iTunes and we'll see you on the next episode. Assalamu alaikum, peace be unto you.
2: الصلاه والسلام